Welcome to episode 265 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Is writing a book one of your New Year's resolutions, or did you recently publish one? Writing a book is not an easy task, and I speak from experience having written two myself. For a book to be worth all that effort, it should be helping you meet your business goals. About a month before my first book, Croissants vs. Bagels, was ready to be published, I had the realization that the day I'd been counting down to was actually day one. Now that I was certain the book would actually be ready for publication, I needed to turn my attention to the book launch. Fortunately, I had already learned that the publication date and launch date are not the same dates. I did have a very successful launch for my first book. Number one in three paid categories and in the top 100 free on US Kindle. And it received 150 reviews within the first week of the launch date. Unfortunately, I didn't have a clear plan for how the book led to a paid offer. For small list big results, I knew from the start that this book would be much more clearly marketed to the people I could support on their entrepreneurial journey through paid offers. I had an even more successful book launch this time, reaching number 4,202 in all US Kindle and number one in eight paid categories, including Canada and Australia, and the book received over 150 reviews. This time, I also hosted a three-part training that led to a year-long program. While my attendance numbers were low, small list is my reality too, I had a nearly 3% conversion rate, nearly 6% if you only count people who attended live, and the revenue from that offer was $30,000. And now, I'm putting together a 12-week program for folks looking to validate their idea through research calls and a pilot without committing to a year-long program. Remember that your book needs to serve your business goals. Getting clarity about your ideal reader or ideal client before you start writing will help you create a resource people use and share with their friends. Your challenge for this week. Are you ready to make 2022 your year to launch a great new program? Before you jump into designing your program, take time to validate it through research calls and a pilot. Build an audience of people who already know, like, and trust you before you try to sell your offer. Do you want to learn more about these strategies and connect with fellow entrepreneurs as you brainstorm together? I'm hosting another three-part big results training to walk you through key strategies in small list big results, launch a successful offer no matter the size of your email list. Bring a notepad to take tons of notes, but also be camera ready to connect with fellow entrepreneurs during the breakout room small group discussions. We meet 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on January 21st through 23rd. That's a Friday through Sunday. The replay will be shared with registrants, but you are strongly encouraged to attend live, if at all possible, since that's the only way to join the discussion and ask questions. Register at robbysamuels.com forward slash big results training. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash big results training. And try this and let me know how it goes. Now, before we dive into this week's interview, you've heard how well my book launch went, thanks to my book launch team. And you're hoping maybe to have similar results with your next book. 
It takes effort, but you can make it happen. I shared all the details of how I ran my book launch in a book launch strategies masterclass, which includes a 90 minute video and 25 pages of detailed notes. Sign up for access at robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch strategies. Use promo code launch L-A-U-N-C-H to receive 33% off. That's a $50 savings. Again, go to robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch strategies. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest loves to help people who are not comfortable with technology to embrace its power. She's a social sales, social media, and LinkedIn trainer, consultant, and speaker. She works with organizations and individuals who know they should be using LinkedIn to extend their network, fill their sales pipeline, build a professional brand, advance in their career, and create advocates within their organization. She knows people are often afraid, even if they don't admit it, of clicking in the wrong place or saying the wrong thing. She helps to remove fear and accelerate the LinkedIn social sales and networking learning curve. Her clients call her part friend, part consultant, part confidant, a sales enabler, and LinkedIn whisperer. Please join me in welcoming Beth Granger. Thank you. Great to be here. Beth, thanks for joining us from your home in Long Island, New York, which is also my hometown. Love talking to people from my hometown area. So as you know, the show is about building strong relationships, but the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So the, the first part is tricky. I'm not sure I know how to define leadership. It's one of those things, you know it when you see it. Um, you know, there's that cartoon of the, I think it's a person on a boat or something where like it shows the somebody in the middle of the boat and somebody in the front of the boat. But to me, a leader is someone who does things that make you trust them, makes you want to follow their advice, makes you want to ask them for their advice. Um, And when did I realize I had the skills to lead? So well after I was actually already doing it, I kind of like when you start a business, you don't believe it's a real business until something happens. I would say a couple of things happened that made me realize I I had the skills. I kept getting promoted before I started my business. I was in corporate and I kept getting promoted. So something I was doing was working well. And then once actually they were rearranging things and I was going to be getting a new department, but giving up another one. And the people from the department that were going to be leaving me actually went to the manager or managers and said, no, we don't want to leave. We, we like working with Beth. That's got to be sweet. That's, yeah. that's beautiful testimony right there of, of who you had been and, and how you grew into that. I want to roll back the clock a little bit. Um, you know, you were saying in, in a lot of ways uh, that your leadership is about building some trust and uh, people like seek you out for that advice and that support. Um, they, they want to follow you. There's a followership uh, sort of component. And I'm wondering kind of who you were growing up, Beth, because I've, I've only known you in this professional capacity of who you are the last few years. Um, and you're, you're a powerhouse in your circles. And I, I'm curious, were you always that powerhouse? Were you always sort of orchestrating and coordinating? Or are you more of the like wallflower who was watching from yep. the sidelines? More definitely, the wallflower? Definitely more the wallflower. I was, I see myself as having been shy and quiet. Um, always the person reading the book, painting the painting, but not necessarily actively 
involved in in things. Um, so like on the playground. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, definitely not. <laughs> not. Not the life of the not the life of the playground. No, last one to be picked for kickball. You know. Yeah. Curious, were there people, adults around you that sort of saw some potential in you early on and were yes. nurturing you toward, oh, I want to hear more about All this. All the like, time, uh, frequently, frequently. Um, I think because I was an artist, um, people recognized that skill and little things from getting to paint a mural on the teacher's cafeteria wall or instead of doing a specific thing in school, being able to do an independent study project or so I was given a lot of interesting um, opportunities through that. Um, and then just people in my life, people from early jobs. So um, I went to an art studio when I was young and in order to pay offset the tuition, I went on a different day to help with the younger kids. And the woman that ran that art studio was very, you know, she was an inspiration to me. So. Yeah. You got the encouragement uh, to, to do that. And it sounds like because you had this skill around art that sort of helped focus the energy on that rather than it being on you. But the byproduct was you were actually growing into a leader. Yes, exactly. Because if it had been all on you, you might have still shied away from it a bit. Yes. But it was on your art and like you liked your art. You must have felt very proud of what you were creating then. It was yeah. easier to, to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you still, is art still part of your life? No, not really. Um, the potential is always there. I have canvases in the basement with paint if I ever want to more crafts occasionally, but, um, you know, I haven't done an etching or a painting or drawn something other than a doodle in quite a while. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how your creativity is morphed. Um, cause you, you, you must supply that same creativity in such different ways. All right, let's go back. I want to, I want to stay in this thread because this is sort of a, like who, who was Beth? Um, <laughs> So you, you, uh, you get into high school, you're still kind of on the Shire side. Um, you have your imagine closer circle of friends when you're heading off to college. did you go to college after high school? I did. Yes. Okay. I never want to make that assumption. So did you have a, a plan? Like was art the plan? Well, so back in the day, if you were creative, but also smart, they shied, they advised you not to go for the art or for the creative part of it. So I went to a uh, liberal arts college and everybody, I was surrounded by a lot of pre-med and pre-law people. And I was sort of the only English major <laughs> in my group of friends. And so I stayed at that school for two years and took amazing, interesting classes and then said, you know, yeah, but what am I going to do with this? I don't want to be a writer. I don't want to be an author. I mean, um, an editor, like I didn't know what you could do with an English degree. And I transferred to art school. So, yeah, so I did transfer and, and major in graphic design pre-computers. Yes. Pre-computers like, like the, the pen, pencil, mechanicals. Like mechanical. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. My dad uh, once told me the best invention ever was a fax machine because prior <laughs> to that you had to FedEx blueprints back and forth to make slight changes. I love it. It's so interesting to hear him talk about and, and he worked in an industrial space. So, um, so, okay. So, uh, you have this art degree and you have this, obviously this education around writing communication seems to still be such a big piece of who you are. So I think that foundational skills still are in play here. Yep. You went to a, a JLB kind of job 
Like you yes. didn't go right to entrepreneurships. You were in, yeah. you're working for a company. What kind of companies did you seek out? Like where, where did you go initially? So my very first job was uh, at Scholastic. Do you remember Scholastic Publications? And we called it, jokingly called it SVA grad school because it seemed like so many, it would just be rows and rows of people that had gone to School of Visual Arts that were there. And um, and then I worked for agencies, different ad agencies, communications firms. It's a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, it sounds a lot of like learning on the job too, like another kind of grad degree uh, almost of doing that kind of work. Yeah, and and I'm somebody that I always love to learn. If I'm not learning something new, I'm bored. Were, were you meeting entrepreneurs along the way or did you not really know entrepreneurs until you ventured out to do that so, yourself? Looking back, there was always sort of this seed of an idea, but I was chicken. So I remember being offered the chance to start an art department at a company that never had one. And I was too chicken to do it. I wasn't ready. And then I worked at a company that wasn't doing well. And I brought together the um, other art director, the one of the writers, and one of the salespeople, and we had a conversation about, should we leave and start our own business? But everybody had something that made us not willing to take that perceived risk. So I think I was pregnant at the time, someone else, you know, whatever the situation was. And then at the job I was at for a really long time before starting my business, there were definitely times where I thought about, ah, I should just leave and do my own thing. But it's, it's a scary, if you're not entrepreneurial or don't think you are, um, there's this perceived safety in a job. I agree with the perceived part. And um, I, I, yes. I've had entrepreneurial spirit my whole life. I mean, my first uh, sales was in, I was in uh, high school, um, uh, maybe even junior high school. I think I was selling things. So, um, but I got, I got into nonprofit and fell into that sort of a job, right? Like a, a yeah. paycheck and security. And um, I met Dory Clark a dozen or so years ago, and she was trying to get me to leave that role and uh, go out on my own and form my own business. And I never realized until that moment how much I liked that paycheck and that insurance <laughs> and that, that steady income. And, 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 and even though I was entrepreneurial, I think it was hard shift. And I made this, I, I called her up and said, I have, I have an exit plan. Um, and it's two years from now, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And she just laughed at me. She's like, that's not an exit strategy. <laughs> uh, you know, two years is not a plan. And so I, I actually, about a month or so later, I called and I was like, okay, I gave my two months notice and I'm, I'm actually leaving. Wow. Um, but it, but it really was that sort of like angst around, um, uh, making that big shift. How did you make the decision to finally do it? Um, and what was it you originally thought you were going to be focusing on? So I was given the opportunity. I, I had worked at a, a large public company for many, many years and been through layoffs and where I had to pick people to be laid off. And finally, it was my turn. So I actually got laid off and it was in 2010 and there were no jobs out there and the ones that were didn't pay. And I went on interviews now and then and whatever. Finally, I was and my networking group knew I was starting a business before I did. They kept saying, no, why don't you start a business? You should start a business. You have so many skills. You should start a business. And I said, no, 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 no. And along the way, people would offer me projects. And I would say no, because I wouldn't want to, if I got a job, stop, you know, have to stop and not finish that project. And then I was offered a, a full-time role that at the time I might have liked, but the salary was so low, I could have made, been 
an administrative assistant. And I said, if I'm only going to make that much, I'm making that much for myself. That's it. I'm in business. And the next day, literally, I got the introduction. That was my first client. So I never had a business plan. I just started doing, people heard my experience and they said, oh, can you help with this? And so I'd say yes. And then um, sometime within that first year, a client that I had done uh, a social media strategic plan for said, oh, you know, our sales team's coming in. Can you teach them how to use LinkedIn? And I thought, why would you need to be taught to use LinkedIn? And you're going to pay me to teach them to use LinkedIn? And it, it just led me down this path to where I narrowed my focus over the years and realized there was always a component of guiding, training, consulting in things that I had done throughout my career so far. And yeah, so it was never, uh, it, it was always, and I still listen to my clients. So my clients and potential clients come up with things for me to do that I never would have thought of based on their needs. 100%. I mean, my, my latest book is all about this small list, big results, launch a successful offer, no matter the size of your email list. And every time I say it, I think that is a long title, but it's descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, you know, this idea of uh, discovering who you want to work with, I have this whole section of the book about discovering your ideal client and the fact that they're probably already circling you, that they're mm -hmm. already coming to you for advice, services, and support. And that, you know, even before you knew you had a business, you already had people seeking you out for varying things. And because you are a multi-talented person, a lot of different experience, a lot of different skill sets, you know, you could have just said yes to lots of things and just ended up with a hodgepodge kind of client list. But you started to focus in on LinkedIn because you realized something that you were free to get at, um, other people needed needed for their own business uh, yeah. purposes. And uh, you wouldn't have noticed that. You wouldn't have, you would not have gone out to do that. You would not have come up with that on your own. That was very much in response to, to yes. the needs. Yes. I love I hearing didn't know that. it was a thing. And um, there were things I realized early on that I didn't want. I knew I didn't want staff. So I didn't want a social media agency. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm just so, I think part of whether you're at a corporation or have your own business, being nimble enough to, to recognize opportunities or take those leaps of faith to try things or to do things um, has always been something that's led to good things for me. Yeah. I think a lot of folks do the opposite. You know, they get latched onto a specific idea of how they want to show up in the world. And then they, they try to fit a square peg in a round hole over and over again. But your way has led to all kinds of new opportunities and, and new experiences and new clients. So you're, you, 2010, um, I've, I've actually met a lot of people on this show who, who started uh, their own business in the 2008, 2010 timeframe because of what was happening in the world economically. Yeah. Um, and I see that you said like you were given the opportunity to do so um, because, you know, if you, if you have a stable job, you then fall into that security mind of you, you're lulled into thinking that's it. But when that yeah. security goes away, you now realize, well, it's no less risky for me to go try to do this on my own. I have some agency in all of this. Um, how has yeah. it matured? Like, was there something you had to really, I mean, you didn't want to build a team, but I imagine you still have certain supports around you that you didn't have when you were starting out. Was there something you had to particularly overcome, like a challenge early on in order to really grow this to where it is today? You know, I find all the challenges I had to overcome were in my head right? It's, it's the, the, 
fear of failure, fear of, fear of success, imposter syndrome, all the things that happen to, to uh, entrepreneurs or anybody really. But um, yeah, it was thinking in, in the beginning, I would introduce myself and say, oh, I have a business, but I didn't believe it. Or in the beginning, I couldn't ask for an amount of money that I couldn't personally afford to pay, even if it was a giant company. It was just the head games we play with ourselves. Right. I've also found that, um, you know, you can, you can lose an opportunity with a big company if you bid too low because they True. assume you're, you're small and you're new yep. and you don't yep. know what you're doing and you don't have the experience and all that. So it's funny how the dollar amount conveys something more than um, the value of, of, of the offer even. It conveys a certain amount of experience, um, know-how. Yeah. So getting over that, was that just by doing it? Like, how do you shift your yeah. mindset? Did you work with a coach? Did you? I didn't. It was just time and experience uh, yeah. that the confidence grew. Kind of the more you do something, the more confident you get at it. And um, yeah. Go- going back, if you were to do it again, or if you were to advise someone, you know, kind of getting started, is there anything you'd share that you wish that you knew? Oh, probably so many things. Let's see. Um Well, some advice that someone gave me at some point when I was first looking for a virtual assistant that I think is a really good thing to do, and I looked at it in two different ways. One was to make an ideal organization chart and put all the tasks and things that, and put your name in all of them initially, and then you can look at which ones you want to get rid of. But the one that really worked for me was making a list, Three, it was three lists that she said. It was things I don't know how to do things I don't like to do. And then the soul searching one, things I'm not good at. And then I added one, things I don't, wait, things I don't want to do, things I don't think I should be doing, like that someone else could do them more effectively or cost effectively. Um, And that was a really good exercise to do because it's, I realized things, for instance, yes, I could outsource developing my slides, but that's how I develop my talks. So I want to do that. But do I need to be, even though I can and I might enjoy editing my videos? No, I'm going to do that. Um, bookkeeping. In the beginning, I wanted to be very, very connected to my numbers and know exactly what was going on day to day. So I wanted to do it. But then after a while, I'm not a bookkeeper. I have no interest in being a bookkeeper. Out that goes. That makes sense. I'm, I love that last piece that you added on about um, things that I, I probably shouldn't be doing. So like like you said, like things there are things you might like to do or you've grown accustomed to doing that you don't mind doing, but you're like, oh, you know, someone else who's solely focused on this would do it faster. They'd be more innovative. They'd know the cutting edge. Uh, and also I could focus my energy on the other things that only I can do, like developing the talk yeah. Um, yeah. or doing the business development, that kind yeah. of thing. I think that's really hard when we're um, the solopreneur and we're trying to grow, um, e- even with virtual assistants. Uh, and I almost want to say, especially because, Virtual assistants are not executive assistants. They have multiple uh, bosses, <laughs> right? Right. So, so you've got to be really clear in how you're using them because they are not, a, you know, they're doing lots of other things, right? So you've sure. got to be really clear with their time, what, what you want them to focus on. And I think um, a lot of times we don't know how to use uh, that kind of support. Agreed. So we yeah. don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you work for a company, even though I had, when I worked for organizations, I had lots of people reporting to me but it wasn't my name on the door. So letting go uh, and, and letting other people do things when, when it's my name on the door, essentially, was a different experience. It took a, 
a longer amount of time for me to get comfortable with doing that at all. Yeah, I still don't. I still don't do it enough. I mean, there are things because I like to do them. I'm going to do them. But does it mean I should be? Probably not. One of the best things I've done in the past uh, year is my assistant and I. Um, we meet weekly, which is something we we originally I think we're every other week. Maybe even at one point I was meeting monthly. I mean, it was just like, how did I think this was going to work? But <laughs> I'm now we've been working together almost two years and we meet uh, weekly. But we right. also um, do uh, what I call battleshipping, um, co-working uh, a couple times a week. So nice. battleshipping, because if we were, had our laptops facing each other, that would be what it would look uh, like. Okay, I love that. <laughs> so we have that on our calendars and that informal time has been really helpful for the occasional brainstorm or the clarifying something. It's just that you know, having multiple touch points while we are all working virtually, um, but not more meetings per se, just right. more touch points where we are focusing. I'm gonna, I'm working on the thing she asked me to do and she's working on the thing I asked her to do essentially. Um, just to kind of keep things going and then get those ideas from from her and and um, and figure out how to apply them. Just like you are listening, listening to your um, your would-be clients or your or your clients about what they need. Your team often has great inspiration, but if you don't open the channels, you just don't hear about it. And uh, and if you don't create the environment, they're never going to tell you the thing True. that they think you should yes. be focusing on. Um, her she's really grown in the role to the point where that's happening all the time now. But that's because of the years that we've had together. And I think you know um, longevity with an assistant is just a beautiful thing. So yes. um, I want to give a shout out just because I'm thinking of it. My friend Melissa Smith created the Association of Virtual Assistants, uh, associationofvas.com, which is a great resource for a VA who's looking to get some professional development, um, some credibility in that space, but also for clients, there's a, there's a small dollar annual fee to be a client member. And then you get access to a bunch of these VAs where you can ask them questions and post your jobs and um, get one-off support and all that good stuff. And it's actually how I found the, the VA yeah, that I'm cool. working with. Yeah. She also helps people place VAs and like onboard. And I mean, it's an incredible resource for people like us who don't know how to delegate <laughs> some support. She's it's often like a therapy session <laughs> and she's like, this is the thing you let go of now. It's like, I don't want to let go of it. Yes, but you need to. Um, so uh, as we're thinking about networking though, I mean, you know, this is sort of the, the core way I think of you too. I mean, I know that LinkedIn is sort of the thing you teach, but to me, that's just a medium the value is like relationships and the way you, you think about them. I knew, I feel like I knew of you before you and I knew each other. Like I, I, your name was familiar to me by the time we started showing up in each other's circles more. Um, and it's, I thought of you as a person who really understood the power of relationships. And I'm curious when you think about your own best practices and what you do, not to stay connected just to your like, and you know, inner circle of people, you know, clearly you're, that's going to happen, but sort of that second and third layer out the, the people that you may maybe see once a year at a conference, um, or you work with them five years ago, but you haven't had a really a reason to work with them since, but you like these people and they like you. And how do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of connections? Is there any habits, philosophies, uh, practices? So there's, there's what, I suggest people do and what I actually do. And they're not always the same. It's more like do what I say, not what I do. But, um, you know, especially when the whole COVID shutdown happened, one of the things that I was recommending, and I did it myself too, was to download my, the spreadsheet of all my connections on LinkedIn. Because we know so many people and we sort of, it's not that we forget about them, but I, I took a look and it's in date order. So 
I was able to see my very first connection, April 2007. And, um, and then look through and see, oh, wow, this person I haven't talked to in so long. So I did a little bit of just outreach. And the same thing happens when if somebody I haven't talked to in a while looks at my profile, I always reach out to them or something happens. So I think of somebody I reach out. So I don't have necessarily a, um, you know, first Monday of every month I do this, but it's more just either something makes me think of someone or something happens where I, I reach out to people. And of course on LinkedIn, when you share content, your network may see it. So I do do quite a bit of that. Um, and then when it comes to people that may not be as active online, I mean, you have different networks of people, right? Some are, some you see in person, but once a year at an event or a conference, remember conferences. And um, so really just, it's more, mine's more of a organic, not a, an official planned, don't, not using a CRM saying connect with this person every three months. It's just sort of a um, thing that I do without thinking about it or planning. I think you grew into it. And, and I want to sort of break this down a little bit. First of all, you mentioned downloading your LinkedIn contacts to a, to a spreadsheet. And I'm sure some people listening just got wide-eyed because they didn't know that was even a thing. <laughs> yes. And it is a thing, folks. And you can just Google exactly that question and you'll find it. Oh, I can it. tell Very, them really quickly. Oh, go for it. So it's under settings. And I forget what section it's in now because they changed the sections. I used to not be able to say, you know, fourth one down. But um, you can get not just you can get your whole download of yeah. your referrals, uh, recommendations, all sorts of things. But the one you can pick is connections. And yeah, so yeah, maybe Googling is better since I don't remember exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really simple though. Once you have that, that it's really easy, um, particularly compared to if you want to download your Facebook uh, connections or your Instagram yes. connections, it is possible but there are some third parties uh, that I've not personally used, which is why I'm not suggesting one. But what I love about LinkedIn, it, it is built into LinkedIn to do yes. this. And um, it, when she says date order, it's it's by um, date of your last uh, connection that they joined or is, it, or, or is it interaction? Connection, connection. Connection, date. yeah, so interesting. But you can, it's a spreadsheet, so you can right. sort it. In so in, in my book, Small is Big Results, I um, talk about a process of taking that information and then kind of weeding through it. Um, to, to start to categorize people and, you know, because you, like you said, there, there's just so many gems like hidden within that of people yes. that you've, you've forgotten about. Um, another one that I recently came across is in the process of my own book launch that um, I want to share with you. Um, do you use any kind of calendaring system like a Calendly or schedule yeah. ones? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been using one since 2015 and I discovered this year that you can download a CSV file of all the people you scheduled with. And when I did that and deduped it, I had 997 people that I had connected with. Um, I love this too much. I'm going to do it. It's like at some point in the last, you know, whatever, five, six years, I've had a 15, 20 minute hour long conversation at least one time with these people. And some of whom I don't recognize the names at all, which actually makes me even more curious, but who were they? Um, And then there was a people that I was like, oh, right. That was the thing we were doing all that time ago. So I just thought that was interesting for us uh, folks that have been doing that kind of work because it was sort of a, like my, my LinkedIn's really a big list and it's a very, um, 
it's it's not like I don't know a lot of the people per se, right? right? So right. at some point it become a little unwieldy. Um, and I could go through it again and do all this process, but this was a, a smaller subsection, manageable. Um, some interesting insights. So that's my yeah. that's my gift to you and all I the people listening that. to Thank our you. conversation. I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to say something about this organic piece, because I, I think that it's still a system. And I want to say that the system is when you think of someone, you take action. And I can't say that other people do that, which is why when you're first getting started, it's helpful to have this scheduled, you know, two 15 minute increments a week could be a good way to get started. Um, make a list of, of 20 people, even that, you know, you want to stay in touch with, like just little things just to kind of make this a habit. Cause once it's a habit, then uh, an interaction, something happens online. You think of someone, you then you go, you go take the action. Um, and then you're also posting content and you you're good at posting content. That's about interaction. Would you share a little bit about that? Cause I feel like your posts, you know, aren't just like read this thing. I think it's a lot of like questions, yeah. polls in, you know, a- ask like, get, I don't know. I feel like your stuff pops up a lot for me because of the level of interactivity on the posts. So to me, if you're sharing, just sharing an article that you read somewhere, that's just noise. Not always. I'll still share something occasionally, but you have to add your, why are you sharing this with me? Why, why should I even care? And so to me, a post should on LinkedIn and, and maybe other places too. I haven't really thought about that part of it, but you know, it's not like stories where I could just share a picture of me and Hey, this is what I had for dinner. What about that? Why should I stop and read this post? What am I going to get from it? Am I going to be inspired? Am I going to have some questions, be curious, be uh, interested? So to me, it has to provide some kind of value. Um, So I always try to think about that when I'm doing a post. And yes, can the purpose of the post be promoting something subtly? It can. But what value in addition to that, what value can it bring to someone else? I did something, um, started doing something a while ago that has proven really beneficial on LinkedIn. And um, you're making me think of it because now it's become so routine. I don't think of it as exceptional. Um, But I started to share articles. This is back particularly when I was really focusing on Zoom and virtual Mm -hmm. events. And I was trying to make sure my network knew I was doing this. I was looking on HBR and, and Entrepreneur and Inc. and Forbes for articles around virtual events. And then I would plan my content calendar when I was going to do it. And I, a few days before, would reach out to the author on LinkedIn with a connection request and let them know I loved their article. Specifically, here's one thing I liked, and I'll be sharing with my network on Monday. And I wouldn't hear back, but then I would post it and tag them. And of course, write that thoughtful note, like you just said about this content. And then (laughs) like 50% of the time, within a week would get a response to my message. And then occasionally those posts went like crazy viral. I mean, my biggest um, post that I ever got views on, which was like, I don't even know, it was like 600,000 plus views was an article that someone else wrote (laughs) and I shared. And (laughs) I got to write back to that person and let them know about the success of this post. And that continued. I've been invited to, to get quoted in Forbes because of this. Um, people have accepted my connection requests like I love it. nine out of 10 times. But what's also been helpful is that my network is a lot of people who write for these places, but these are people I didn't necessarily know. 
But because they saw who else I was connected to, I think that also helped with my credibility. And yeah. now, of course, I'm connected to them, which leads the next person to think, oh, I should know. How do I not know Robbie? We have like 100 people in common. So very simple strategy and a great way to create content, create content really, which is like sharing content. But also it was a, it was a networking tool that led to yep. some great instant results yep. that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And um, you might not have seen it yet because I just got it today. Uh, there's a new feature that will help you on LinkedIn. They just added, if you go to a connections profile, to the right of their name will be a little bell. And if you turn on the bell, you'll be notified when they post. So it's almost like uh, like the C first for, for Facebook, which I actually use similarly. Yeah, um, and I, I, I haven't seen how it works yet because I just yeah. saw that it was there. But I love that. Because because I was always coming up with workarounds for right. the people that I really wanted to keep in touch with and know what they were sharing because you didn't always see it. Yeah. I feel like on Facebook, I sort of seasonally will shift things. Mm-hmm. So my, and I've noticed that if I have more than three, it usually becomes just a, a, a noise because, yes. <laughs> you know, I think right. at first I got excited. I must've clicked on 12 or 20 people, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it, that's a great, I, that's a great addition. Sometimes uh, these tweaks come and you're like, why are you changing things? <laughs> Right. I just got used to this, but that's lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I also, um, one other thing I, I just realized was out and I just claimed mine, but haven't actually done anything with it is this newsletter format. And yeah. I think it's another interesting way to kind of connect with your audience and your, where your network, whether they're an audience or not, how do you think about the newsletter feature and what should we use that so for? I love it. First of all, and I'll tell you why I was actually given access to it a year ago, but didn't do it until April of this year because I wasn't willing to commit <laughs> to, to doing it um, until then. The, for people that don't know, it's only if you have right now, at least only if you have creator mode turned on and everybody who has creator mode seems to be given the newsletter and LinkedIn Live, or at least having their LinkedIn Live application reviewed. I'm not sure if they gave it to everybody. Um, the, the magic thing is when you would write an article, historically on LinkedIn, nobody saw it. And a newsletter is an article, but people can subscribe and they get an email and a notification on LinkedIn. So it's a wonderful, it's like building an email newsletter, but within LinkedIn. And I'm really excited about it. Although I have to say, because they, and different people's worlds are going to be different. I feel like my entire feed is filled up with sign up for this newsletter, sign up for this newsletter. So I'm getting like, ugh. No, 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 I don't want any more. I asked someone else, a client of mine, if they had seen that in their feed and they said, no. So I think it really depends on. Yeah, we're in the world of content creators. Yeah, Yeah. we're we're surrounded by content creators. Um, I'm also realizing that the name of the newsletter is really important because the tagline isn't shown in the notification to join, to, to subscribe. It's just the name. And I saw someone that was just like, Beth Granger, you know, newsletter. And I'm like, what? Like, it doesn't tell me anything about what you're going to do. You well, know I mean? well like, except for, except for, for instance, Dory's is the Dory Clark newsletter. If you really know and like somebody, I suppose it works. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of them is just, you know, it's just people in my network and I'm like, yeah. what was it going to be about? What's it going to be about? I have but a name for mine. But yet my, my advice is part of why I also didn't start for months yeah. after being given access is because I was obsessing about what I should call it, how often I wanted to do it. And in the scheme of just things, just pick something and do it over yeah. not doing it. 
So mine is mine is uh is by January of this year, which is by the time this comes out, will this will be up and running. Um, I'm calling it smallest revolution. And Love it's it. gonna be all the content, anything I can think of around how to help people kind of leverage their network so that they can start to use uh use these tools to grow their business and not be afraid of their smallest uh, and not think that their smallest is holding them back. So um, it's really fun and really creative. And uh, one more question on this, since I have you here, yes. is this, should it be content that's different than the content in our actual weekly emails? It's a good question. It could be, I, I suppose it depends on how much overlap there is between um, your email list and your newsletter subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do a lot of email marketing. So for me, it doesn't matter. Uh, but for people who do a lot of both, I don't think it should be the same because all, although you never know, somebody might open one and not open the other. It's, yeah. a good, it's a really good question. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I was curious because I, yeah. I do, uh, I'm very consistent. 50, uh, 51 times a year, I, I post a, a weekly email with a story. And I have for years tried to figure out how to get those stories out into the world. I tried to do a video of them on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And honestly, after a while, I thought this is the, the effort to outcome wasn't really worth it. You know what? Try it. But now I'm thinking and I you might can even try ask it. People, where did you, you know, did you also get this as an email? Which one did you open? Which that could be a whole topic for the, for the newsletter. Right. Yeah. Awesome. This is so cool. I think people um, probably don't realize how many tools and features are now available through LinkedIn because when we all joined, it was a very, very different platform Um, for those of us that have been doing this for a while. I mean, it was really just a place to park your resume and that was kind of it. And it's, it's very interesting. Now I I'm curious um, if we were talking a year from now, this is my, my wrap up question. And we were talking about all of your success in the previous year. What are we going to be celebrating? I'm really curious what you're most looking forward to in the year ahead. Uh, so many things. Um, so something I've been doing because I listen to clients, I've been doing a, a lot of um, the equivalent of personal training on LinkedIn. So it's where typically a busy executive doesn't want to necessarily learn how to do it on their own, but they don't want to make a mistake. And so I've been guiding them and I really enjoy it. I see their success. So I think a year from now, if, you know, I've done that for however many more, I didn't pick a number. I know it's not a smart goal. Um, just seeing my, the success that my clients have because of the work that I'm doing with them is just incredibly gratifying. That's awesome. Uh, anything else you want to add? Cause I feel like you, you have more than one thing. Oh, that's the thing. Too many things. I, so, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know yet. <laughs> Ask yeah. me in a year. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think also you're probably going to keep listening to what you're hearing from your clients and oh, prospects, yeah. and that'll become yeah. the newest thing for you. And of course, just staying on top of what LinkedIn is even doing yeah. um, constantly. And I stay on top of other things too. So that's part of the thing. If there's a new platform, I jump right in to figure out, is it worth the, using the value and can it combine with my behavior either in person or on another platform online. And that's, that's really fun for me. And plus useful for my network. So they don't have to, they don't have to spend four months in clubhouse to decide if they should be in clubhouse. Right. I was just thinking about your efforts around clubhouse when you were saying that, 
Um, fascinating. So uh, I can't wait to celebrate all that with you and whatever comes yeah. out, out of this that you, we don't know whether it'll even be. I imagine it's going to be wonderful though, because you do such good work in the world. Thank you so much for sharing. How can people find you and follow your work? Oh, so many ways. Let's see. Well, obviously LinkedIn, Beth Granger, G-R-A-N-G-E-R. Um, that's probably the easiest. I have a website, BethGranger.com, but I honestly, uh, it needs a revamp. So there's not much there. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on club. I'm, I'm kind of everywhere, but yeah. uh, I would say LinkedIn makes the most sense, right? Say, sure say thing. you heard, say you heard me here. Yeah. Um, yes. We'll have all those links in the show notes and please do reach out. You're going to see, uh, Beth and I are posting about this on LinkedIn. So go look for it, comment on those posts. Let us know what value you got from this conversation. What aha moment you heard from, from listening to Beth's story and thank you for listening. And thank you, Beth, for sharing your story with us. Thanks. This was great. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Beth. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 265. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.